This is Mormon Awakenings. You can email me your questions or comments to mormonawakenings at gmail.com or you can find me on Facebook at Mormon Awakenings or Jack Nanique. Welcome back. Life is scary sometimes. That probably goes without saying. And it seems the older one gets, the scarier it gets. That doesn't seem fair. The sources of fear multiply over time. At least that's been my experience. The points of failure multiply. You have more things to worry about. When you're young and alone, ironically, on your own, you seem like you're full of worry, but actually there are very few things to worry about, very few points of failure. And as you get older, there are many, many, many points of failure, many things to worry about, many sources of anxiety. And the number of people around to bail you out when you're younger is a much bigger number. I think typically, I mean, as a general statement, this doesn't apply to everybody, but as you get older, the number of people around to bail you out sh shrinks. You know, your parents die off, your grandparents die off, your and you find yourself kind of alone with all these points of failure and the backups around to help you, that number has shrunk. I've always been a worrier deep down and I used to think that I was unique in this regard, but as I've grown older, I realize everyone's a worrier. We're all obsessed with worry all the time. It's always in the back of our mind. Worry about money, worry about our kids, or if our spouse is going to stick around for another year. And if you don't have those worries, you worry maybe about your job, if anybody likes you. And the similarities between these worries is they're all basically, are things going to work out? That's the fundamental question you have in your mind. Are things, whatever I'm concerned about, kids, wife, family, finances, your job, are those things going to work out? for me. Some of the more ambitious among us have bigger worries like, will I be elected to the Senate or will I make $10 million next year? But for most of us, our worries are more pedestrian, more fundamental, feel like worries about life and death. When worry overtakes us, it's nice to have an escape, a real escape, or it's nice to have an assurance, a real assurance particularly if that assurance comes from beyond. That's, wow, that's awesome. And the assurances that we seek and often find in the dark of the night, when we feel paralyzed by anxiety, by worry, by concerns, all of which are legitimate, all of which are reasonable, all of which are heavy, the assurances that we seek and find in the middle of the night, in a proverbial sense, of course, represent some of the most mystical and transformative experiences of all. At least that's been my experience, and people that I've talked to, that's been their experience too. A cousin of mine, his father, left the family when he was around 12 years old. Prior to this, this family had everything. It appeared anyways. They had money. They drove a Mercedes. They went on ski trips to Colorado. They appeared to have all the success that the world could offer. His father was a skilled surgeon, which, when I was a boy, was the most lucrative thing you could do. Still fairly lucrative. 
and his father left the family. Came home one day and said he had fallen in love with a woman at work. They were LDS, mind you. So this was not just a breach of the family trust. This was also a massive religious violation. Represented a major betrayal on many levels. A betrayal of his mother, a betrayal of the family, and also a betrayal of the faith, of the tribe, of, tra- of the tradition. He was no ordinary Mormon, this man who left the family. He, he had pioneer stock that went back to prophets, apostles. This guy was no fly-by-night Mormon. And so it blew everybody away. This family was destroyed. My family, my siblings and I, we were shocked beyond belief, could hardly believe it. It was earth-shattering. We had grown up with my cousin and his family. We were all kind of like siblings. They lived just a little bit away from us where we grew up in the Midwest. Their life from that point on was transformed forever and worry and anxiety and concerns about the future began to dominate the thoughts of my cousin, his siblings, and his mother. And rightly so. Their finances were turned upside down, whereas they used to go to Colorado to go skiing. Suddenly they were living in a rental. The dad was gone, splitting his time, his income with people that were interlopers. You know, thoughts about college, presumptions about futures, those were all thrown into doubt for everybody. And the, the, the look of worry on my aunt's face, that expression of worry was a permanent expression of worry. It became etched on her face forever. And we could all tell the anxiety and the strain and the worry about what was going to happen to her and her kids because of this traumatic event. And it was traumatic, and it was traumatic consistently, constantly, this this aura of trauma just hanging over the family. It never seemed to go away. The upheaval became a way of life for them all. I talked about this event with my cousin a few decades later when we were adults, asking him, my cousin, about his great faith in God, in the divine, in the gospel, in the church, all things which on the surface, if, if you wanted to be cynical, if you want to be negative, seemed to have failed him. There was no eternal family for him. His parents were split up. His father had betrayed him. Not exactly the promised blessings of prosperity that are often advertised within the Mormon church. And so I asked him, how did you kind of keep it together? How did you keep coming? How did you not become very cynical and negative and pessimistic? Because he's none of those things, my cousin who suffered this trauma as a 12-year-old boy. He is upbeat, he's funny, he tells incredible stories, he's hilarious, he's also incredibly smart, articulate. He said that the night his father informed the family that he would, that he was leaving, he'd found another woman that he loved better, was leaving the family. He said he was so distraught, he, he that night went off by himself and prayed just hoping for some guidance. As many of us have done in the dark of night when we're worried, when we're full of anxiety, he prayed to whatever being is out there, asking for some help, for some reassurance, asking for strength to help him deal with his worries about the future, his fears 
that this was going to start a cycle that would eventually leave him to oblivion, and I think that's what we all fear when this sort of chaos enters our life. We fear that we're, we've started on this downward spiral, and it's just going to live in, lead inexorably to our oblivion. So, worried about this, he sought some comfort, and the comfort came. And the comfort came without strings. And the comfort came in a way that changed him, was transformative, that rushed into him. It was mystical. It came from outside of him. Spiritual, but tangible at the same time. He was hurting. He sought help. And he had this mystical, transformative experience. It wasn't earned. It wasn't contingent upon his obedience. It was just love and support and comfort from the comforter. His perspective on life from that point on was one of gratitude, was one of optimism. He noticed all the things he did enjoy. Shelter, food, access to education, a mother that loved him, siblings, that loved him. Cousins, still many opportunities in front of him, waiting for him. Yeah, the lifestyle was different for the time, but it was all going to be just fine. Everything had a purpose. It was going to work out. The it being his life. That's the feeling he came away with after this transformative experience, after the spiritual but tangible comforting he received. We want to live our lives in a way where we can avoid this type of chaos. And that's good to live your life that way. One, not, ought, one ought not court chaos. But when chaos comes, and it will for, for everyone, it's transformative when the divine, the mystical, from beyond you, from somewhere else, fills you with love and comfort and reassurance that everything's going to work out somehow. Tumbling when something like that occurs in your life, the reassurance that you feel. It's humbling because you realize that maybe someone else is driving the bus, and that's a good thing. Maybe there are greater powers than you. Maybe you were created by someone else. Something else, and that's comforting, particularly if you think or you're reassured or you have a mystical experience that makes you think that that being loves you. It's beautiful, and it's an experience that is shared by folks of all walks of life. I've had similar experiences, like my cousin has had. They've come at odd times, unexpected times. One happened when I was in my late 20s. I was at law school at the University of Michigan. My first wife, as I, had t as I have shared with you earlier, had left me a couple years earlier. So I found myself attending law school as a newly singled man in the Midwest. Church was small in Ann Arbor. And I did not think any of the people at the church were all that smart. None of them had been through what I had been through. None of them had had their wife leave them. And I had kind of this attitude that things just weren't going to work out for me. I was somehow condemned to a life of failure, 
not making the team, not having things work out. I was talking to the friend, not an LDS friend, by the way, a Jewish friend of mine. We were having lunch. We were talking about something, the topic of which I don't remember. But my attitude was one of defeat, pessimism, anxiety to the point of overwhelming me. That was coming through in the conversation. And whatever this guy was talking about, I kept saying, no, no, that can't. And then he sort of stopped me. He said, you know, sometimes things do work out. And that was a revelation to me. Later on, I had my own Joseph Smith praying in the log cabin experience. You remember that story? We talked about that last week. Joseph Smith had had the first vision. A couple years later, however, he was concerned about the welfare of his soul, worried he wasn't quite measuring up. He had been embroiled in some teenage shenanigans, and so he's praying in the log cabin, and Moroni shows up unexpectedly to reassure him. Well, I had my own kneel down and pray in the log cabin, worried about my soul moment while attending law school, worried about what was going to happen to me. I didn't really like law school. I was a mediocre student. I liked being in school and not working, but I was concerned about my future. What was going to happen to me? Scarred from the abrupt departure of someone who I thought loved me and married me in the temple, and my attitude had become infected with pessimism. The local church people were not, well, they weren't inspiring to me, to say the least. I thought they were robotic and incapable of empathy. A completely unfair judgment, by the way, because I didn't open up to any of them. I didn't share with any of them what was going on in my life at all. Yet in spite of that, I thought it fair and just to judge them as superficial, so... That was lame on my part. Compounded my problems for sure. Nonetheless, however, I found myself in this place of solitude, of loneliness, of emptiness, of worry. Whatever paths took me there didn't really matter. I was there. And I was quite concerned that I was on this spiral downward towards oblivion. So I prayed and I was just like, hey, I'm I'm worried. And like it did for my cousin, a bolt of love and comfort from beyond just pulsated through my body. A spiritual bolt, yet a tangible bolt, something which was clearly not part of me. Something that came from something somewhere else. I'd been on a mission. I'd been to the BYU, and I'd never quite had this type of experience. It just grabbed me. And as it was for my cousin, as it was, I think, for Joseph Smith, as it was for me... It was transformative. It was from beyond me. Humbled me, for sure. But more than that, just reassured me. It's going to be okay. You don't need to worry about everything because you don't have to handle everything. Something bigger is paying attention. Now that changed me. Or it reset me or it redirected me or adjusted me, however you want to think about it certainly comforted me. We want these type of transformative experiences more. We want them all the time. Of course, they don't come all the time. And the simple answer is always, well, you're supposed to remember them. And that's a true answer, I think. 
when you're studying, when you're learning a language, when you're learning facts, scientists have discovered that it's the act of remembering and retrieving the fact when it's almost beyond your memory, when you have to struggle and think that process of retrieving a fading fact or a fading piece of knowledge is what solidifies the neural pathway, what makes that fact part of your knowledge, a permanent memory, a permanent part of your accessible knowledge and memory. And I think it's true with these type of transformative experiences. Retrieving them during other anxieties, during new anxieties, new traumas, the act of retrieving the memory of this transformative experience makes it a permanent tool, a permanent part of your knowledge, your toolkit in dealing with life. This is a pattern we see in the New Testament. Jesus often said to his disciples during moments of stress, during moments of doubt, their doubt, he would, off, he would often basically say, have I not taught this to you before? Why do you still have such little faith? Have we not gone over this before? Can't you retrieve the past, a past experience, and use it now? Seems to be something we're supposed to be doing in this life, using our past experience, our past knowledge, making those experiences, that knowledge, permanent tools in our toolkit. And we see the younger generation struggling with this, don't we? In fact, we see the same things that we went through happening to them, the same cycles over and over again. And it's hard to tell someone who's going through something that you went through 25 years ago that it's going to be just fine, don't worry about it. They have to have their own transformative experience, their own assurance, their own, their own comfort from beyond. And then they, like you did, like everyone who went on before you had to, they also have to learn how to retrieve and access these type of experiences so that they become permanent, so that the neural pathways to them, these pathways which inform our reactions, which inform our instincts, these neural pathways can become solidified and these experiences can become part of our permanent toolkit. It's the act of retrieving it, believe it or not, that will make it permanent, or at least the neural pathway to it permanent. And this cycle happens generation after generation after generation, and it has for thousands of years. And every generation has to build their own neural pathways. They have to learn to retrieve and use these transformative experiences. They have to remember for themselves. And this has been going on for thousands and thousands of years, generation after generation after generation. Nothing really has changed over time, generation after generation, in this regard. We read the other night in my family a verse from Psalms, written anywhere between 3,000 and 3,800 years ago. This verse basically said, you know, if you try to do what's right, you try to follow the law, and you contemplate on the law, you're going to be more peaceful, happier, and you're going to prosper. That's what this verse said. It was written, again, somewhere between 3,000 and 3,800 years ago. 
Sounds like it was written yesterday for General Conference. So I'm not so sure there's anything really all that novel generation after generation after generation. Like a fractal, just constantly repeating the same thing over and over and over. Slightly different forms, but the general pattern, the same. Brand new, of course, to the new generation who thinks they know everything, who thinks that 10 to 20 years ago is ancient history. But the cycle of dealing with fear, of having hope, of having dashed hopes, of having to be reassured, to be comforted, to rebuilding, this cycle happens over and over and over, generation after generation after generation. Which is why we often come to the conclusion as we grow older that there are no news stories. There's just our particular version of it. I like that idea. Because it means there's less to worry about. Things are less in your control than you think. There's some being from beyond who's going to show up at the right times, help you, comfort you, reassure you. Now, I know there's a minority among my listeners who are saying, well, that's not been my experience at all. I don't know what you're talking about. No one comes to reassure me. There is nothing out there but the abyss, the void. And I'm confident, I think, enough to say, well, just wait. It'll happen, and it'll happen when you least expect it. Stop trying so hard. That's glib. Presumptuous does not make people feel good. But then again, I'm just a guy. I'm not God. But I do think that'll happen. And when it does happen, remember it. Make it permanent. I suppose that's why I do this podcast week in and week out, though the last couple months it's been more like every couple weeks and every couple weeks out. It's really a way for me to remember my own experiences. I'd like to get very high-minded and say, well, I'm doing it all for you, but really I'm not. It's a way for me to remember my own experiences because those are the only experiences that I have. If that helps someone else along the way, that's great. That's a nice bonus. But if I'm totally honest, like when we prepare a sacrament talk or a lesson or go on a mission, doing this podcast has far more benefits for me, sadly, than I think for you. Because I'm only having my experience. You're having your own. The good news, I think, is that there's a being who created you, and that same being created me, and that being is there for you, can comfort you, and can bring order to the chaos that's beyond your own ability to order. Well, I've gone on far too long. I hope you found something interesting here today. Please do email me at mormonawakenings at gmail.com or find me at Facebook at Mormon Awakenings or Jack Nanique. Until next time.